four. Uh, want a quick call out to one of our backers, Dave Hill. Dave, thanks for making us do this. Uh, it's, uh, you know, great. No, I love doing this. He, Dave was the one, Dave was the backer who pushed us over the stretch goal that got us right to this one. So we got to do all these little background stories. So thank you, Dave, despite my voice being hamburger after doing Vicus for a couple of hours. The first bit in chapter five is a scene with Calliope and Josh in the hospital. Calliope's gotten beat up by a big guy, some guy that she was supposed to bring in and she decided to not call for backup or whatever. And she got kind of clubbed a bit. And Josh has brought her a little expanded baton. People have asked like, you know, why'd I pick that? Why she got this other stuff? And there's other toys that are in the bag that we don't see. It's a little bit of foreshadowing. So we know why the baton's in her pocket when we see it in a later scene, but we don't see that there's other stuff in the bag. But this scene also explains why that other stuff's in the bag. Calliope is definitely a badass. We've seen that she can take care of herself. We saw it in a previous scene, you know, drunk and everything. She still kicks a guy on his back. But at the same time, she's little. It doesn't, this isn't a gender thing one way or the other. She's not very big. Whoever plays um, Egret on uh, Game of Thrones, that's kind of how I picture Calliope. She's Kristen Bell size. She's, she's not a big person. She's probably a little bit more muscular than either of those, but you know, she's, she's not that big. So she needs some help. I like the expandable baton thing. It's very useful. It's very easy to conceal. It's easy to carry with her. And I like tear gas because tear gas is a great leveler and it's not some little like, you know, pepper spray kind of crap that you get for, you know, co-eds walking around college or anything like that. This is serious stuff that's meant to be used during riots and so forth. It's held out. It projects like 20 feet and takes somebody down because that's the kind of thing that, uh, Calliope would want. She'd want something that, you know, once the can has been expended, it can also be used as a melee weapon, you know, something heavy. She's a private investigator. She does stuff with bad people. She works with bad people. And sometimes she needs to, usually I would imagine nine times out of 10, this is a level of intimidation kind of thing. Nobody wants to have one of those things wrapped up against their wrist because uh, frankly, it'll break it. There's a bit in the scene where he says something about he's got a toy and he pulls out this small metallic black cylinder and she's sort of grinning in a naughty way. And there are overtones that it was some sort of other toy, like, you know, kind of a thing. And that's fine. Is it intentional? Yes, it was totally intentional. The double meaning there, they are not together. But at this point in time, they haven't been not together for very long. And they're figuring out how to be friends to a certain extent. So there's a little bit of harmless, I'm going to say harmless flirtation. That sounds like a like a terrible thing, but it's, they have to do something. And they've, they've gone what I think is a fairly healthy route of just acknowledging the fact that they're going to joke around like that. They're, they're not going to be able to not do that. So they do it. Um, knowing that it's not going to go that, that way. Josh is married and Calliope is, I, I guess, Midwestern enough to not mess around with that. So, so why introduce the new agent character? I end up using him later. My intention, Walker's not normal. We find out later. He's not, he's part of the whole hidden things conspiracy or whatever. He's, he's something that's else. And Hyde is another one of those. I didn't really know what I was going to do with him, but he does come back up later. He is, he's one of the guys that chases after Calliope when she first leaves town and, and so forth. So he's a minion. You know, Walker gave up a lot of what made him different and special to be as much like the thing that he hates as he can be. And as a result, rather than doing everything himself, he uses minions and Hyde's one of those. He's probably, I don't know what Hyde is. Maybe he's a human who learned some tricks or something like that. I don't think he's exactly like Walker because Walker's something that wasn't human that's been stripped down to the point where he looks human. I think Hyde, it sort of came at things from the other direction. 
So Calliope goes back home. She's trying to decide whether or not she should go out. And she realizes she doesn't want to stay at home because she'd probably just be reliving, just as we see for just a snippet of that argument with her and Tom and just be, you know, this is the first time she's really been home where she hasn't just walked in and crashed immediately. I mean, she did when she went home, but uh, the night before she passed out in the office, this is the first time she's been home for any length of time. And she would not be going straight to bed. She'd be sitting around basically just banging around an empty house, interrupted by trick-or-treaters with her boyfriend out there anymore. And that doesn't sound very appetizing. So she decides to head out again. The fact that she dressed up as Sam Spade was basically just a call out to the fact that I was sort of aiming at her doing, in, in my mind, this is sort of a detective story, or at least it starts out as one. It doesn't end up being one. We find out it's a really weird detective story because we know who kills Josh. It's on page three. So it's not trying to figure out who killed Josh. It's trying to figure out why. But there's still that sort of thing. And there's some call out there. You know, we've got the bourbon in the filing cabinet and stuff like that. So just going along with that theme, she decides to go with kind of a, a Sam Spade sort of. There had been that mention of it before. You know, they've been talking about that. So it was in the back of her mind where that was just what she went with. Also, it's easy, which is good when you've got to dress up for Halloween. You haven't thought about it. Is Calliope the kind of person who's going to wear a sexy, whatever, nurse, cheerleader? No. I'm going to come down on the, on the side of no. I think the sexiest she'd probably ever go as is like tank girl, which for some subset of people would qualify, but you know, you're not doing sexy tank girl. You're just doing tank girl and it ends up being sexy. Calliope in a sexy nurse costume would be Calliope trying to get into some place that she's not supposed to be. So she's, you know, dressing a part that's going to get her in the door. She would never choose something like that for herself. I don't know. It wouldn't be amusing for her. This is the second time we get to see Calliope and Vicus in this chapter when they meet outside on the street. And that was when I got to do the baton. We got all the foreshadowed baton stuff and then it ends up being an entire misdirection. That leaves us in the place of Vicus where he sees the baton and he's focusing on it. And we're focusing on it because we just had a scene about it. And then the tear gas, the oleoresin comes out of nowhere to a certain extent from the other hand. I liked that scene a lot for, for a lot of reasons, but it, Vicus is a big guy. He's built like Ron Perlman or someone like that. And for a little person like her to leave him crawling around on the street, it puts her in a good place for me. I needed her to be competent because there's a lot of stuff that she's not going to understand or know, and she's going to be completely out of her element. And I wanted her to otherwise be very competent. She's not a Mary Sue. She's got a lot of stuff that's wrong with her. I, I try pretty hard to make sure that no one's a Mary Sue, but... At the same time, you don't want her to be a bumbling idiot that doesn't understand anything and can't take care of herself either. I have an obsession with the number 23. So Club 23 is Club 23 because I wanted a 23 in there somewhere. I will thank Robert Anton Wilson for that particular obsession and way too much time spent reading his books when I was in college. So Club 23 is sort of a generic club. It probably is even almost a mismatch from the kind of music I imagine that Tom's band plays versus the environment that I described, but it's sort of every Hollywood multi-level club that's floating around in my head. It does establish some of the fact that Calliope used to sing. We already knew she was in a band. We now know that she sang. We now know that it was a big deal and stuck in somebody's head. This is a guy who, you know, Toby's a guy who hears people play every night and gets visibly excited on, at the prospect that this person who he hasn't heard for two years might come back and sing again. So we know that she was probably pretty good, or at least really struck people when she, when she sang, and that's, that's important. It gets us back into the conversation with her and Vicus at the bar, and the whole uh, using the drink glass as a volume dial to turn down the noise of the club, which was interesting to me because a lot of the people who've read the, the book, um, especially first readers, 
when I got feedback on it and that sort of thing, did not notice that Vicus was doing that, that that was a conscious thing that he was probably doing. They just, it, it kind of just went past them. And I didn't especially call it out in later drafts or anything like that. It's probably different when I read it aloud, but it was one of the first things. Calliope is going to constantly get hints that Vicus is not normal, that he's able to do stuff that other people can't. It starts with Lauren, which is pretty overt. This is pretty covert, but it's not the kind of thing that Calliope's going to miss. We know she didn't miss it because we talk about it. And the point of view in this is third person, but it's really close to Calliope's perception. So if we see something, it's something that Calliope notices, even if she doesn't entirely acknowledge that she notices it. I don't know that it was Hungarian. I said Hungarian. I kind of pulled it out of my, out of my hat to a certain extent where she just picked Hungarian because it definitely wasn't German because she probably took German in high school. Um, so she knew it wasn't German and it was something over there. So she just picks Hungarian. I picked Hungarian because Vikas said correctly would be Vikush. And that's a Hungarian pr pronunciation for that series of letters. It's not a Hungarian name. Vikas is entirely a fictional invention of mine, but I did model it after, after certain vocal styles kind of thing. And everybody says his name different. And that's sort of his function. Some people say Vicus, somebody say Vicus. I kind of like that. Um, I know some people have pronounced it Vicus because it shortens to Vic, which sounds like the kind of thing that would happen with him. Some of the guys later say Vikush, they say it properly. But the funny thing is, is that there's a proper way to say it. And Vicus doesn't say it that way. When she asks him what his name is, he says Vicus, which is probably not how you're supposed to pronounce it. And he does it wrong. Maybe he just says it wrong. I mean, I don't know. I grew up in South Dakota where everything is said wrong. I have friends, several friends named with like their, their name starts with a K-N and it's, we say the K. Um, the capital of the state is Pier. There's a city out in, out in the Black Hills named Lead. We say everything wrong. I think to a certain extent he says it wrong because he's sort of putting that origin behind him. But that's sort of the nature of what he is. One degree off of Trinium is another thing. There will actually be, here's a little hint, there will actually be a short story in the Little Things connection that actually very closely orbits around kind of who Vicus is, what he is, and the idea of true names as a way to know a thing. I mean, we already got into that a lot in Hidden Things because of the whole thing with the dragon. But in a less sinister way, there's a, there's a kind of a funny short story about, about Vicus and, and someone who wants to understand what he is. And kind of going back to that a little bit. I like Vicus. I like Vicus a lot. I don't like Vicus reading him uh, for 45 minutes because uh, talking like this is a little bit hard on the voice after a while. And you kind of switch back to Calliope and pretty soon Calliope starts to sound like that because everything sounds like that if you talk like this for that long. She gets in the Jeep with him at the end. We're going to spend a lot of time in the Jeep in the next uh, three or four chapters. But first, the next chapter is a visit to the fat man. Ladies and gentlemen, I cannot tell you how much I am looking forward to reading The Fat Man. Uh, Gluen is one of... <laughs> no one ever calls Gluen their favorite character, but Gluen is, is certainly a favorite character of mine. He's not a nice guy. He's a pretty disgusting guy. Every single member of my family dislikes Gluen just on basic principle. They find him unspeakably creepy. To which I can only reply, mission accomplished. I'll tell you where this came from, straight up. In Maltese Falcon, there's a character, I don't remember what his actual name is. It might be the Fat Man. I'm not sure. One person who reviewed the book actually referred to the fact that there was a couple of shout outs to the Maltese Falcon. So they actually noticed this. But the Fat Man is the main, I guess, bad guy in the Maltese Falcon is, is referred to by that. And he's not 
anywhere near as bad as, as Gluon, obviously. But they, they describe him as a big guy in a nice suit. I, I don't remember the description. It stuck with me. I took that and, as the kids say, turned it to 11 with Gluon. I wanted to pick out some themes that kept it with that sort of detective thing at that point. So I'm looking at, you know, Maltese Falcon, sort of a classic. And I looked at there and I was like, I need a guy. And I the fat guy. And I kind of, I remember the description of him. And at one point in time, I sort of had this idea. I was like, I should borrow something like the thin man from the thin man, except that he doesn't actually exist. He's not in them. I like to tell people that I once got the uh, leading role in the thin man as the thin man, you know, for, for the Halloween, for the uh, Hollywood remake. Cause and see if anybody catches the fact that that character isn't actually in the story. So yeah, that was where that inspiration or originally came from, but it just went way past that. I can tell some stories about Gloria, and I will save that for the next one, because next time we will be spending some time with Gloria and the chicken bone. <laughs>